Hi, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. My name is Dave Pryor. Today, this is part two of what may be three or four or a whole bunch more podcasts on the subject of cost of delay. And Marty Bradley has taken time out of his Friday morning. Marty, thank you for coming back to do another podcast interview. Hey, no problem, Dave. Thanks for having me. So just to, to remind folks, can you explain a little bit about your role at Leading Agile, and then we'll get into the swamp of cost of delay. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm an SVP at Leading Agile. So basically, I'm one of the senior management consultants. So I usually come in and help organize uh, large transformations. But I also still uh, like to get involved in like day-to-day -day coaching uh, when I can, just to keep my uh, the skills and and. Plus, that it's just so much more fun when you're working with a team, right? And you're <laughs> yeah. watching them, watching them actually make progress day to day, and not arguing with the uh, all the politics. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, and plus you get all the stories, which are great too. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I'm glad you're here, and I appreciate you being willing to talk about this. And so for those of you that are listening, um, we did a, a podcast a few weeks ago with Jim Hayden, and one of the challenges that I'm struggling with is the the concept of cost of delay, and I sort of understand it at a conceptual level. Um, but then as soon as you pull back the curtain, everything falls apart for me. And I'm really trying to get a better handle on this. So the last interview with Jim Hayden, we talked about it at a high theoretical level to just kind of set a basic, hopefully a basic groundwork for an understanding. And and in this in the podcast that we're going to continue to do on the topic, we're going to try to get deeper and deeper into the subject. And Marty is here to school me up on some of this stuff. And I think we're going to focus a lot on how to calculate it, right? Or, or to try to understand how people are trying to calculate it. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, really don't feel bad about that hole when you pull back the curtain, because that happens all the time, right? Because people just say this as if it's this concept that it's some calculation that you're going to plug things in and, you know, your finance guys and everybody are going to get it right away. Right. So, um, there, there are a lot of nuances to it and it, and it can be somewhat subjective like story points, but just like with story points, what happens is as long as we all have like kind of a, um, a, a shared understanding of what the points mean, then it starts to have some value. Right. So, um, and that's typically what happens. People look at, look at it and go, well, this looks like I'm making random decisions, right? And that's not really the case, right? So let me let me so, mansplain some of the basics for the folks and see if I have sure. at least this right, and then we can talk about it. So at a very, very simple, simple level, like if you just watch the Black Swan Farming video on cost of delay, one of the things you would understand is that if you had something you were going to roll out and it was going to generate $100,000 every week that it was in play, and you delayed that by two weeks, then you would be giving up $200,000. So that is a very simple understanding of cost of delay. But when it comes to looking at stuff across the portfolio and trying to make decisions about what to continue with and what to stop, or what to just push out a little bit further, that's where some of the stuff that Marty was just talking about becomes much more important. And people um, are kind of turning to cost delay because they're struggling to understand how much revenue something's going to generate, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So it, it's interesting because when we talk about costs of delay, what we're looking at is how can we better or most efficiently prioritize the things that, that are in our backlog? Like, how do we do that? How do we get it done? How do we get the business value out into the field faster? Right. So uh, if, if what's happened is everybody's read in, in Reiner Stenz, I always say his name. Reinerson. Right? There you go. His book. <laughs> 
um, you know, it's very lean. And what he says is, if you can't measure anything, measure cost of delay. Cost of delay seems very easy to get, right? Because if you're environments that are regulatory and you have to have something done by X date or you don't get certified, everybody gets it. That's a big problem. They can't put a number on it, but they know it's really bad. Nobody in the company wants that to happen, right? So that there, there's your kind of shared understanding of, of what that cost is, right? The cost could be we're completely out of business, right? Okay. Um, so there are things like that, things like, you know, security issues. And, you know, sometimes in smaller companies, sales guys will actually write features into a contract, right? Just to get the contract signed. So even though that may not bring you big value across all your customers, there may be a key customer you'll lose if you won't get it done, right? So conceptually, people are like, oh, okay, so I kind of understand cost of delay. So then everybody latches on to it. Yeah, like Agile. But, yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? So so if you if you read his book, Reinerton. you know, that guy, yeah, that guy we were just <laughs> talking about. If you read his book, what he talks about is um, uh, something, a calculation called weighted shortest job first. Yeah. And one of the values in there is a time criticality or, or cost of delay. So before we go into this part, we're going to put up a graphic that will be, there will be show notes at the bottom where we will have a graphic that will help clarify this if, you, if you're like me and you struggle with visualizing some of the stuff. So go ahead, Marty. Sorry. Oh, no, that's cool because it's kind of hard to explain. Uh, just wave my hands around. I usually whiteboard <laughs> this, so that'll, that'll be really nice. And just so you know, I'm waving my hands around now. Um, so WHJF, or weighted shortage job first, it's the, the calculation is basically user business value plus cost of delay plus risk reduction or opportunity enablement divided by the job size. All right. So if you lay this out in a table, right, you have your feature on your left. Next column is user business value. Next column would be cost of delay. Next column would be your risk reduction. Next column would be job size, right? And, and what you would do is you'd list all your features in this table, and you would sit together with people that understand the features. So it's typically your product owners, maybe some of your um, lead tech guys, um, SMEs, whatever, right? And you could actually go down and what you would do is what we typically do is we do this like we're story pointing. Right. So you use a Fibonacci scale. And a lot of times I'll I'll cap it at 20. But, you know, the scale really doesn't matter. Right. So um, so you have this Fibonacci scale up to 20 and you just look at one column at a time. You look at the feature and you say, OK, let's let's give this a business value. And you go through, and let's say the first one, everybody thinks it's a 20, and then they well, go through a couple of others. Hang on for one second. When you say business value, sure. can you explain what you mean? Like if you're sitting in a room full of C-level folks or POs, what, how do you explain business value? So business value would be their intrinsic knowledge of how much they think this is worth. Right. Okay. So let's say let's say they can't figure out ROI. Sometimes it's very easy to figure out ROI. Right. Like I was I was in a client, and what they did was they did um, um, actually a couple of clients that do medical chart reviews. Right. So it's really clear to them that for every chart that they review, if they can bring back X amount of money, it equals this amount of revenue to the company. Sure. Right. So it's really easy for them to go. Hey, we think. We're pretty sure, based on our experience, that we can get 100,000 more charts if we do X. Yeah. Well, 100,000 more charts equals this number, so everybody knows what that, that return value is. So that's cool. If you can do that in your business, you want to use that, right? Okay. You want to use those values. But if you don't what have I, any idea. Yeah, if you don't have any idea, you need a point system. Because you know, back in the day when I was a product manager, before, even before I was doing any Agile, you know, the way we would calculate 
expected revenue is that we were basically just getting Gartner reports and figuring out how much, you know, what percentage of the industry do we think we own? And if we add this, what's that going to do? And then basically, even those numbers, we'll come guessing. back with some ROI. Yeah, we're still just guessing, right? And pulling numbers out of our parts. Yes. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's try and do uh, It's all right. I was trying to clean it up and I made it worse. But anyway, um, yeah. So and if, if you can't do that, um, what you can do, or if you can do that, you know, you can still give it a point system, right? Like if we think this value is um, 1 million to 5 million, we're going to make that a 20. If we think it's, you know, X amount and, and kind of lay that scale, I've seen companies do that where they so, lay the Fibonacci scale against an actual dollar value. So one thing I just want to make clear for folks who may not be familiar with Fibonacci or the agile way of doing this stuff. Um, when we talk about sizing something, whether it's story points or, you know, business value points or whatever, it's a relative sizing. So the th this thing is X times bigger than this other thing. So whether you're using Fibonacci or some other scale, it doesn't matter. It's always comparing everything against each other, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because what you don't want to do is spend two hours arguing over whether something's a two or a three. Yeah. Right. So uh, um, like come to some value and move on. Again, all this is for is guidance on how to do prioritization. Right. So once once you do these calculations, you're basically all going to sit at the table. You're going to look at the list and you may do a fist of five. Everybody cool with the list? Yep. We're all good. Right. And then that's your prioritization. OK. Right? And, and that's what it's used for. Some people I've seen, they've gone through this and something's still like three down on the list and everybody for some reason agrees that that should really be the first thing they're working on okay. and they'll move it. But, but what this does is it kind of influences the reason they're making that decision, right? If it's down at 20, now other people have, uh, there's a conversation you can have about, well, why do you think it needs to be number one, right? And again, when we're doing prioritization, just like everything else, as long as we have a shared understanding, if we're all in the industry, we're all trying to do the best thing for the company, yeah. more than likely that is the best thing to do, right? So, so this is why this is why this, you know, behind the curtains things start to uh, fall apart, right? So again, if we go back towards the, you know, looking at this column and figuring out business value, we're gonna give it some sort of a scale. We're gonna go to cost of delay and we're gonna do the same thing. And when you do cost of delay, it, it's again the same kind of problem. If you don't know how much the feature is worth, you don't know how much money you're losing each month by not delivering the feature. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. So what happens is is that again it goes back to these things like, for example, if I'm in a regulatory environment and I have to get something done in three months, I'm gonna and, and I'm getting ready to go into my release cycle. I'm gonna make every one of those regulatory things, the things that have to be done, I'm gonna make them my highest cost of delay value okay right yeah so the so yeah so and, and it makes sense right like that wasn't that that's not hard to understand you can and then what you can do is you can kind of categorize things so right i want to i want to just stop for one second on this point sure. because this is a big what you just said is having a significant impact on my own i guess self-judgment of not understanding this is that the actual value of cost of delay may not be something that is completely mathematically quantifiable because it's based on a guess as to compared to this other thing i think it's this much yes okay and that's okay yes for everybody out there like me who's thinking like oh my gosh drew mcginnis is so much smarter than me i'm never going to be able to figure this out i know troy understands it i don't get it at all i can have fuzzy numbers here too it's okay 
Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Because there are things that when you sit down in the room, you have a collective understanding they need to be done, like yeah. um, security issues. Right. Um, typically, what happens is, is that, you know, you'll go through a security audit and things are categorized. There are certain things that have to be done immediately and then and then things that they'd like to get done and then things that you need to do within the next quarter or whatever. Right. Depending on their severity. Right. Yeah. So you can you can sit in a room and you can kind of weigh these against each other. Security breaches are one thing. Big customers, sales. Again, I used to work for this. Um, I was coaching a small company, and people would find out two months into a contract that sales guys actually wrote features into the contract for a product, right? right. And it wasn't a services organization. So all of a sudden, there was this mad dash to stick these features in because it was coming up to the date, right? And they didn't yeah. want to be non-compliant in the contract. So, so there, so, you know, part of what you want, might want to do if you're, if you're trying to figure out cost of delay is figure out what these categories are in your, in your company, okay. right? What's important. Are you getting ready to do Sarbanes-Oxley? Yeah. What are the socks things that you have to get done in, in what order, right? And what that'll do is if you can then, um, you know, use cost of delay to help move those features up or down. Now you want to okay. be careful not to, so what you do need to be careful of doing is not to like rig the numbers so that you get the prioritization you want. Which that is going to be, oh, but that would, I think would be a reason for doing it in a group, right? Because I mean, yes. everybody has a bias. Everybody's got an opinion. They, they believe certain things and that's going to come through in their vote, but collectively, hopefully you'll exactly. get some honesty. Out. Now, um, I want to go back to an example that Jim and I talked about and see how this fits into the table that you've been describing. So we, one of the examples we used was those new Apple headphones, right? So the phone comes out, it requires Bluetooth headphones. They're not ready yet. So for each week that they delay the launch of the new headphones, they're losing X amount of dollars in revenue. So that's, that's something they can probably quantify. But Absolutely. there's also risk that they're going to lose these headphone customers to people that are going to like, you know, I bought the Bose headphones instead. Um, so I'm not going to go spend another $200 on a pair of Apple headphones when I just spent $300 on a pair of Bose headphones. So they've lost a customer there. So right. there's risk, business risk too, right? Exactly, right. And those are the things that they want away because they may decide it's more important because Samsung's coming out with a new phone. Right. That's going to start taking over their iPhone market. Okay. And if they don't have the iPhone market. Who cares about the headphone market? Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you're right, right? And that's the exact conversation you want to have. And, 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 and if, especially if you're doing a group think on, this, um, on these calculations, those are the discussions that are going to come to the table. Okay. And that's what you want. So you mentioned a couple different factors, and I and we'll we'll have the table. I can't remember them all off the top of my head um, that you would put in this table. But I'm assuming that a company could add, you know, they've got cost delay, they've got risk, they've got whatever other things that they feel they need to factor in. They can kind of create that table on their own, right? Oh, absolutely, right. So this this is a core. I mean, just like you can shave off everything except for cost of delay and job size. Yeah. Um, you know, because you need job size, right? Because what that does is that helps you look at if I have obvious, I mean, this is going to be so obvious when I'm going to say it anyway. If you have two things that have the exact same value or same cost of delay and one takes three months and one takes a month, it makes sense to do the one that only takes a month. Right. Right. First. And that's what you want to do. Right. So if there are other factors, I just caution you not to make, again, you know, this is a way to help you prioritize. So I wouldn't add columns unless what they're going to do is add to the value of the discussion. Okay. 
But that right? and that because, might be an iterative thing. They're going to have to figure out, you know, the best. Yeah, way. exactly. Right. Because what what you again, what you want to be careful about. I mean, it's just like anything. It's like with story points. Right. You start showing story points around. Everybody's going to start analyzing that. Like, why is this a business value of 20 instead of 13? Well, you should be able to discuss it, but really what you want to do is you can't discuss it in isolation. It's like, well, this is a 20 because it's more important than these four things. Okay. Right. And then it starts to make sense to people, right? Um, so um, as long as you can explain the numbers and they all make sense to everybody, and uh, I just caution that you don't get too many in there because the more in there, the more people are going to jump in and try to overanalyze what's happening. Yeah. And the goal is, is you just want a clear backlog for your team to work on. And so that's going to help you make decisions across the portfolio about let's do this first, this second, let's kill this thing and add room for this other thing. Absolutely. So how would you, um, I'm going to ask you to, we've talked about it, but if you can try to explain it in the simplest possible way, when people say weighted shortest job first, what does that, what's the simplest explanation of that? The simplest explanation of that is if you have two things of equal value, you want to do the shortest one first. Okay. So what is the weighted part? The weighted part is when you start to have things that aren't of equal value, right? So one okay. has a business value of 20, but, but it has a cost delay. Uh, well, a, let's say a business value of five, but a cost of delay of 20. And another one has a business value of eight and a cost of delay of one. Okay. And so the, right. the formula for weighted shortest job first is cost of delay divided by duration. Yes. And, and, and all that math is just, it's, it's almost like um, three-point print estimation. It doesn't matter that it's just numbers that you're pulling out of the sky. It's the relative comparison of one thing to another. Absolutely. Okay. Because, yeah. again, what we're trying to do is get the most business value as fast as we can, right? So let's say, like, let's take that example. If thing, two things are equal, but um, one, the cost of delay is longer. Yeah. Then you want to do the thing, right? So let, let's say you have that example, but there are pieces of the one feature, even though it became third or fourth down the list. And the problem that they're having is it's because it's too big that they can't get it bumped up, right? Yeah. So what the, what I've seen what I've seen happen, and again, this is a very well functioning product owner team, right? Okay. They look at that and say, well, wait a minute, you know, the, why is this thing going to take four months? And this one only taken a month. So can we go, do you mind if, let's go talk to the tech guys. Let's figure out if we can do what we could do in two months, because then that would put this up at the top of the list, right? So now what they're doing is they're starting to do what we like to see teams do, right? We want to reduce the batch size. So how do we reduce the batch, batch size so that we're basically doing, you know, the minimum viable product, right? Yeah. So now what we're doing is going, okay, good. Now we're making them think about, what they're doing, and, and it makes sense for them to go think about it now, right? So instead of us just going, oh, go break this up, and they're like, dude, I need the whole thing, all right? I absolutely need the whole thing. Well, maybe you don't, right? And if you don't need the whole thing, if we can do a month of that work, is that important to you? And it may be way more valuable than the other eight things that were above it, but because it was blocked up with this uh, amount of work, this other kind of wasted work, uh, nobody can see it, right? So they go back and they analyze it, and let's say they break it up. Now all of a sudden, this thing gets bumped up to the top of the list. Right? And, and a really great simple example would be if the iPhone Seven launches before Christmas without the headphones, they can sell a lot more units before the end of the year than they can if they say we have to delay the launch of the phone until the headphones are ready and we can ship them with the phone. 
Exactly. So that's an example where you would be cutting scope out in order to get something out the door quicker to generate revenue faster. Yes, perfect. That's awesome. This was this made it a lot easier. If, if you can draw the picture on your whiteboard that you talked about, it should be perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, if people like when you when you started to look at this stuff, other than the Reinertsen book, um, are there other resources that you would recommend people look into, like a PO or somebody at the C level who's trying to understand this? Uh, to, to be honest, when I went to look at this, um, if you, if you understand. If you're already prioritizing your backlog or understand backlog prioritization, so um, the things I would suggest reading are, you know, prioritizing a backlog, you know, uh, ways to calculate ROI. Um, because what happens is, is people people say that all the time, calculate ROI. It's like, well, everybody's got their own meaning of what ROI is to the business, right? Depending on if you're the CFO, CIO, whatever, right? So. If, if, if you can go and look at old school, I don't say old school, but product management books to talk about how to value a product, mm-hmm. those are good basis for coming into this, right? Because it may be that there is a way to value your, your product and services, and, and maybe it's a percentage of them, right? So somebody comes in and says, hey, I get that, but 70% of our stuff, we can actually come to a value, and this is how we would do it. Or this is how we could get to that. And we feel that having an, um, a monetary value is far more important than this point system that you want to use, right? Um, which again, it's perfect, right? What you want is you want everybody to have the same understanding of, of if, if I'm heading towards this path, we're putting out the most valuable things for the company. And if everybody's driving to that, it, it gets everybody excited and they stay focused on it, right? And they don't try to jam things in underneath you, which is you know always a huge problem. Yeah. So I say any anything that helps you understand how to value your product, um, Gartner reports in your industry, right? Like things things that help you understand what is the real value of of, of your industry. And the other thing too that seems kind of off the beaten path is understanding what your capability model is. Right. Um, I, I worked at one organization that they had their own document management system and it was critical to the things that they were doing, but it wasn't their core capability. Right. right. Uh, and so what they what they finally did, because they were getting ready to rewrite it and somebody came in and said, look, why don't we why can't we outsource that? Like, that's not any proprietary information. We have to we just have to send faxes out. Right. Because it's part of the legality of what we do. Right. And and so they outsourced that, uh, handed it over to uh ACS or whatever company. And, um, all of a sudden they freed up 15 developers and they stopped upsetting their customers because they had HIPAA requirements. And every time a fax went to a wrong customer, there were, there were all kinds of, you know, they had to fill out all kinds of legal paperwork and all kinds of other crazy stuff. Right. Um, so understanding what your core capabilities are, why you're valuing something the way you are is, is critical to, to doing this too. Okay, cool. So I, I want to ask you one question about value. One of the things that I make a joke about a lot is that, I don't know, f- five or six years ago when people started talking about value and Agile, it was always like, whoa, oh no, we measure everything by value. And I say, well, how do you quantify it? And they say, well, we look at the value. Well, how do you figure <laughs> out what the value is? With value. And it's just a circle with no answer. And <laughs> yeah. so then like about two years ago, everyone was like, oh no, we use cost of delay and way to shortage job that, you know, value is too vague. But this stuff is still vague. <laughs> it's, yeah. do, you, do you think, yeah. I mean, as we get into shorter cycles, it, it's a natural thing for business people to be like, well, no, we have to know what the value is, but that's always going to be a lagging indicator 
because you're never going to know until the thing's out the door. So do you think that we're getting smarter or more scientific about figuring this stuff out, or are we just kicking the can down the road and pretending we figured it out? I think in some cases we're getting smarter, but one of the key things that you said was, was as we deliver these things faster, the one true indicator is did somebody buy it? Yeah. Did somebody pay money for this? So the shorter you can deliver, right, the leaner you can get. If I can deliver something in, in two weeks, if what I should be measuring is it has my value increase, has my customer satisfaction increase. You know, what are those key indicators in your organization? They may be lagging, but if they're only lagging by a couple weeks, you know you're going in the right direction, right? Yeah. So if you're looking for perfection, perfection is let's try to get out of our own way and deliver things every minute if we can, right? Every day, right? Every two weeks, try to get on a, a very short cadence. And then the business is less worried about trying to calculate this and make the perfect decision up front, right? Because we all know it's not perfect, right? We think, and today it makes sense, but three months from now, the market's moving. Yeah. Right? So um, the sooner we can get it out, the sooner we know if we should keep heading down the direction. So what we're trying to do with these things, and that's why I say, that's why I caution everybody on making their table too detailed. You're not looking for the perfect answer. What you're looking for is the answer that makes the most sense, and then you're going to measure the value, right? Your company should be moving forward. If it's not, your your list is well, wrong, right? and, your prioritization. I, I would go one step further and say it's not even about the answer being right or wrong. It's about looking at that answer against another answer and letting that drive the choice. Sure. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. This is awesome. I really appreciate you doing this. It's it's. I feel like I'm getting closer to understanding it. So this is great. Um, well, that's good. As long as I didn't take you further away. No, from no, it's I actually think, uh, my better. job is done. Yeah. yeah, this is great. Thank you very much. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you and have follow-up questions for you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, always my uh, leading agile email and, and LinkedIn. So um, I can, if you can put my LinkedIn uh, yep, I'll link put it down all there, up in there. But yeah, so I'm always out on LinkedIn or I, I'm always checking my email. Cool. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it and enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, you too, Dave. Thanks a lot. <laughs>